Welcome to Convention Pulpit, Wesleyan Voices Past and Present, brought to you through the Ministry of Inner Church Holiness Convention. Visit our website for an entire library of great sermons and more information on this ministry, www.ihconvention.com. We have featured the voice of Wingrove Taylor on the podcast before, but today's sermon is sorely needed in the church. He preached this wonderful sermon back in 1987 at the God's Bible School and College annual camp meeting held in Cincinnati, Ohio. He titles it, The Glory of God. I know you're going to enjoy what you're about to hear. St. Luke's Gospel, chapter 9. And beginning at verse 28, we have the story of the transfiguration of the Lord Jesus Christ. as you realize that in verse 29 as he prayed the fashion of his countenance was altered and his raiment was white and glistering and behold there talked with him two men which were Moses and Elias who appeared in glory who appeared in glory and I want to talk to you this morning about the glory, believe it or not. I told Brother Willis yesterday when he started in to talk about the glory of Christ. You know, what, what's happening here? This is where God's leading me for tomorrow. And I, says that, I told him that the, the trouble is that the people won't even be able to distinguish, to, 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 to realize that both of them are the same thing that we're talking about. He talked about the glory, you remember. And when you hear about the glory from me this morning, you'll wonder whether we talked about the same thing, but I believe it is the same thing. Let us ask God to open our hearts to his word and truth. Father, we come here this morning in your name and for your sake to share what you have given us. We thank you, Lord, every time you make us conscious of the fact that without you we are nothing. We thank you, Lord, for helping us to realize, helping us to feel our utter uselessness without you. This morning we pray that you will come in your miracle touch and take this word and apply it to all of our hearts. Through Jesus Christ our Lord we pray, for his honor, for his glory. Amen. We have here Moses and Elijah appearing in glory. But they were not the only ones who appeared in glory. Jesus Christ also was transfigured. And the disciples saw his glory. We heard about it yesterday morning that we beheld his glory. And I'm thinking of the passage in 2 Corinthians chapter 3 and verse 18 where it speaks about we all with open face beholding as in a glass the glory of the Lord are changed into the same image from glory to glory. 
I am told that the word glory, from which we get our English word doxology, has some four meanings. For instance, it may refer to a person's reputation for honor or the recognition of a person for the renown that is truly his. In Romans 3.23, we have the word, we have all sinned and come short of the glory, the honor, the renown that God intended us to have. Glory may also mean a sort of catchy, attractive appearance without any real substance. In Matthew 4, 8, for instance, Satan showed Jesus all the kingdoms of the world and all the glory thereof. That is the catchy attractiveness of the world. However, glory embraces also the sense of God in his excellence, in his self-revelation, in his manifestation of himself in and through Jesus Christ. In other words, glory is all that God is. All of the godlike excellence of God. And it is this glory that marked Moses and Elijah on the mount. It is this glory that covered Jesus Christ. It is this glory that is the rightful possession of every one of God's children. It is your right. It is my right. It is not just something that belongs to Jesus Christ. It is something that also belongs to us. We are to be full of his glory. Now, there are three things about this glory that I would like us to look at this morning as I feel the Lord leading me. I told you that there are four meanings to glory. There is the sense of renown that belongs to a man, the honor that belongs to him because of who he is. There is this catchy attractiveness. There is all the excellence of God. But glory also means an, not just an outward glorious appearance attracting attention to a person or thing, but it also means that glory from within which is reflected in one's countenance. And in fact, my friends, that is the big distinction between the world's glory and God's glory. The one is apparent without substance, while the other is appearance coming from essence and substance. So then, the first thing I would like to share with you about this glory is that this glory, this divine excellence, this divine radiance, this divine Christ-likeness, this glorious honor of God is from within. It is from within. The Bible is full of the inwardness of grace and glory. In the Old Testament we have it as the glory filled the tabernacle and the Holy of Holies was filled with the presence of God within. As you remember the tabernacle was surrounded by the tribes that always blesses me. Tribes on the east, tribes on the west, tribes on the north, tribes in the south, and then the tabernacle right in the middle of that all, and then as it were, on the inside of the tabernacle, the glory of the Lord. God in the midst, glory in the midst. Not only was it so on the Old Testament tabernacle, but it was so on the Old Testament temple, when the glory filled the place. 
the priests could not even go in to worship. And then you remember in the book of Ezekiel, a very touching sort of thing. I like to read it every once in a while. How because of the despicable sins of Israel, the glory was gradually departing until it was gone. And then after that great errand on which the prophet was sent to speak to the valley of dry bones and when Israel rose and stood again and life came into her and the priests were put back in their order and the tribes were brought together from their disunity and brought together as one again and when everything was set Ezekiel chapter 43 tells us the prophet says from the east I heard the sound of the returning glory. Amen. Brothers and sisters, I wonder where and how much of the glory of God we have today. I just wonder, I just wonder, is there a movement of God? Maybe he has not left us, but is he in the center? Is there that inwardness of God? And of course, in the New Testament, in Luke chapter 17, Jesus Christ says, the kingdom of God cometh not with observation. It's not an outward eye thing. It's not something that you can see with your eyes. But the kingdom of God is within you. Oh, thank God this glory comes from within. And as we look at some of these passages, as we look at 2 Corinthians 3.18, the word of God is that as we all beholding as in a glass the glory of the Lord, we are changed, changed inside. Hallelujah. And you know that that word change is the same word for transfigured use of the Lord Jesus Christ. His transfiguration. He was changed. It was not just some show on the outside. It was a part of his whole inward godliness and godlikeness flashing forth on his countenance. And incidentally, that word change is the very same one as we find in Romans 12 too, where it says, be not conformed to the world but be transformed be changed be changed on the inside hallelujah it is from this Greek word change transformed that we get our English word metamorphosis they tell me and of course what we have here is a change not of appearance not just of countenance but a change of character deep on the inside of us perhaps one of our common illustrations is the transformation that takes place when a caterpillar becomes a butterfly hallelujah praise the Lord do you like those wormy squirmy things those ugly, wormy, squirmy things. I had a most glorious experience of the infilling of the Holy Spirit somewhere up here. There were not those lovely chairs there. They were the same stuff as down here. Same type of chairs. And that night, hungry and empty and hungry I didn't even come to the altar because I know so well some of these holiness midwives they can beat you on the back they can expect you to pray through now they can do all kinds of things and I just did not want to encounter the midwives that night and so I passed the altar and went up in those chairs and I cut down and, and talked to God and prayed with God. And I can't tell you that whole story. But oh, as glorious, as real, as powerful as could be, I knew he had come in his fullness. But I'll tell you this, my friends. 
I did not know how to retain such a glorious blessing. In fact, all my life I was concerned about the blessing and so God blessed me. But you know, when I really got my feet down, it was the night when the evangelist was preaching about the caterpillar that wanted to become a butterfly. And so the caterpillar climbed up and up and up the tree and up and up and up into the sunlight and finally out on the farthest branch and the farthest twig of the farthest branch and then lifted itself into the sunshine. And that's pretty high living. You know what I can't understand about some Christian people? I cannot understand how a genuinely regenerated man or woman can be content with low-level Christian living. I can't understand it. Once you become a Christian, my dear friend, you want the highest standards, the highest life. This business about fooling around on the shorelines with all the muck and mire, I just don't understand that kind of Christianity. Maybe I'm, I need to be more sympathetic here. We have a new day. But I'll tell you this, my friends. Outside of sanctification, my purpose and my aim was high ground. And then the dear evangelist says, but that didn't make the dear caterpillar a butterfly. So finally the caterpillar said, I guess I can't make it this way. I'll just come right back down and go through the depth route, the cocoon route. Know what I'm talking about, don't you? Climbed into his cocoon, went through the regular process, and oh, sometimes it can be agonizing. Thanks be unto God, we will come out on top. What the Lord told me that night is, son, you have been always after blessing and blessing and blessing. What you really need is burying. Thank God you don't need that. You've been after the blessing. You need to be buried. I can see this modern crowd don't even know what I'm talking about. Would you, would you better understand to die like a yellow dog? Would you better understand? I tell you, that's what you had to suffer from some of those old preachers. It was the death route. What I am trying to tell you, my friends, is that the Lord Jesus Christ can come on the inside and give you a change of character, of nature. Until you are as different as a butterfly is from a caterpillar. Hallelujah. This glory is from within. And it comes from an inward change. Hallelujah. But it not only comes from an inward change. Thanks be unto God. Or oh, before I go on there. Perhaps I just let me back up a little bit here and say that I have some real problems. I really do. I have some real problems understanding glamour mixed with glory. I have some real problems. This inner glory reflecting on the outside, this inwardness of grace coming from this glorious change within. I have some real problems when we mix glamour with glory. I understand that people have false hair and false eyes and false teeth and false arms and false legs, I understand that we have those things. But then usually and normally, 
They do this, and allowably so, because they have unfortunately lost the real counterparts. But tell me, my dear friends, why in the wide world would we go for the false and fleeting beauty of the glamour of this world when there is available the true and lasting beauty of the glory of the Lord? Why would we do it? Tell me, my friends, if we could get any variety and any quantity of fresh flowers simply upon proper requests, would we still go around with artificial flowers? Any variety, any quantity of beautiful, fresh flowers, would you still go for the artificial flowers? My friends, I doubt very, very seriously that when we get to glory and have our glorified bodies, I doubt very seriously that we will want to or be able to go about our beauty treating of our glorified body. Now, I, I, I don't know. I, I don't know. I, I doubt it. And my dear friends, while we are on this earth below, we have to begin practicing and pre preparing for that glory beyond. For that day when we stand in all the glory, when there is nothing to hinder the beauty from within. Are you with me, friends? Are you understanding what I'm talking about? I'm, I'm really concerned. I'm not, I'm not just dealing in legalism. God knows I'm not. But when God can transform a man and change him within until the butterfly, the, the, the caterpillar becomes a butterfly, it's the whole thing that goes together and the whole thing is beautiful because it now has a butterfly nature. The glory is within. It comes from an inward change. It not only comes from an inward change, it comes from the indwelling comforter. Hallelujah. It comes from the indwelling comforter. It says that we all beholding as in a glass the glory of the Lord are changed from glory to glory by the Spirit of the Lord. It is He resident within, abiding within, taking up His abode within. It is He within us that is responsible for that glory. For wherever he is, it's glorious. Hallelujah. The glory is from within. The glory is by an inward change. The glory is by the indwelling comforter. The glory is by imparted Christ-likeness. Hallelujah. Imparted Christ-likeness. You know, God doesn't only want to put within us the divine nature, as we find in 1 Peter chapter 1. But he says, having had this divine nature imparted by the glorious promises of God, he says, now go on and add to your faith moral excellence. Just add excellence. Just, just keep on adding excellence upon excellence. And there must be about our lives a marvelous Christ-likeness. Read Romans chapter 12 and you see what happened after we are not conformed to the world, but we are transformed by the renewing of your mind. Read Romans 12 and you will see what happens. All that gloriously good behavior. Kind, loving, people will treat you. You know how to be gracious when your enemies attack you. You know how to love them. Just on and on and on and on. The beauty of the Lord shining through your lives. Hallelujah. The glory is from within. It is an inward change. 
It is by the indwelling comforter, and it is imparted righteousness in the soul. But my friend, let me go on and share with you that the glory is not only from within, but the glory comes by waiting. The glory comes by waiting. When you go back to the experience of the transfiguration, I love to think of the fearless climbing of Jesus. It says he went up into a mountain to pray. Matthew 17 says that he went up into a high mountain apart. One translation says he took them up to a lofty and lonely place. He got away from everybody. He went into the prayer chamber. The glory comes by waiting, my friends. After having the glorious privilege of studying at this school, 1948 to 53, returned to this country, um, 1966, and then in 1968, my wife came with me for the first time, and one of the places I wanted her to see was God's Bible School. And you know where I wanted her to see most at God's Bible School? Not the classrooms, not the dormitories, not the dining room. I wanted her to see the prayer room. I took her down those steps, and of course, it wasn't as nice looking as it is now. Pipes going everywhere. But I opened the door and I said, darling, that is it. That's God's Bible school for me. That's the center of God's Bible school. That's it. Oh, my dear friends, I cannot tell you how the times I spent in that prayer room, that was my major teacher, that was my major classroom, that was it. But you know, friends, we don't like the job of climbing up to the lonely place and getting alone with God anymore. Come, come, my dear friends, come, 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 come. We are not doing much getting alone with God these days. And my friends, I want you to know that the glory comes by waiting. It involves what I call fine concentrating. Concentrating. And it is in the word of God here. We all with open face, beholding as in a glass the glory of the Lord, we are changed from one stage of glory to the next. This is our problem. We will not do the concentrating. We will not do the beholding. And I like the combination here. Two things are necessary. There must be, first of all, an openness before God. With open face. And that means all veils removed. Everything hidden revealed. Lord, here as we heard in Hebrews in the early morning prayer meeting, God knows where you are, all about you, and everything about you. Don't worry to cover up. Tell him everything. Take off the veils. Aren't we a veiled people? I heard one preacher says sometimes we come to church and maybe the husband and wife had just had and knock down some sort of thing on the way to church. And of course, that doesn't happen in America, but it happens sometimes in the Caribbean. You understand? Just had a knockdown sort of thing. And then they come to church and they step out, and the preacher says, um, How are you this morning? Fine. It's fine. Oh, we have so much that is covered. We are not an open people. We all live behind some walls, and we all live behind some appearances, and we live behind all of these veils. My friends, if you're going to get the glory of the Lord and grow in glory, you're going to have to take off the veils. Just say who you are. Amen. Amen. Praise the Lord. 
Let's admit to God who we are. Let's admit to God our needs. Let's tell him our struggles. Let's tell him where we are. And there must not only be this openness, but there must be an attentiveness. Looking steadily on him. They tell me this beholding is not just mere vision, not just simple observation, but it is staring. It is discerning clearly. It is looking at the Lord. I am reminded of the disciples when it says they take, took knowledge of them that they had been with Jesus. Can people look at you and see you've been with Jesus? Is there a Christ-likeness about you? Is there a beauty about you? Is there a loveliness about you? Because you've been with Jesus. That's our problem. That's our problem. Some time ago, I must have told you of seeing some little guys playing with a basketball and they were bouncing that ball and not even looking at the ball but the ball kept coming up to the hand you know I just stood there in amazement and then suddenly they would grab that ball and into the into the basket and and it would catch it again and just bounce and bounce and look all around bounce and bounce and then catch it and into the basket and while I was looking at all their skill the Lord says son that's not just basketball, that's Christianity. And I'm always happy when the Lord gives me those lessons. He says, son, do you know why those boys can bounce that ball so perfectly? Very simply, they practice. You know, if some of us would practice patience, we would be more patient. We would become more proficient. Come, come, my dear friends, come, come. Do you know that if some of us were to practice being less quick, that we would be less quick? Everybody all right? I'm talking about the glory. God within us. His beauty shining out through us. Hallelujah. The beauty is from within. It is from an inner change. It is from the indwelling comforter. It is the imparted Christ-likeness of Christ. The glory is by waiting. Doing some fearless climbing like Moses up into the mount where nobody else wanted to go up there. But it was there that the glory came. Doing some faithful contending. Just staying with God a while. Don't run away so quickly. Experiencing the full cleansing of the blood. And doing some fine concentrating. Looking at Jesus Christ. But let me close by saying to you, my friends, that the glory is for working. The glory is from within. The glory is by waiting. But the glory is for working. In other words, God just isn't going to give us his glory for glory's sake. And I think that this is where we have some of our problems. That we get God's glory, but we do not proceed to use God's glory as God wants his glory used. Now, how does God want his glory used? And first of all, my friends, God wants his glory used for worshiping God. For worshiping God. What did Jesus Christ say? Jesus Christ said, Father, glorify me. Finish it for me. I said, finish it for me. Glorify me that I might glorify you. Glorify me that I might glorify you. Right now, God has me in a course 
It looks to me like it's a postgraduate course of some kind. It looks to me when I come through this, I will get a PhD. God has me under tuition to learn to glorify him more. My friends, if there is one problem that we can have in our lives and hold back the full effulgence and the shining of his glory is that when the glory comes, we must use that glory as God wants it used. And one way is for worshiping him. Glorify me that I may glorify you. You anoint me to sing that I may glorify you. You anoint me to preach that I may glorify you. You make me Christ-like and beautiful that I might glorify you. That men may see our good works and do what? Glorify the Father who is in heaven. Come, come, my dear friends. I don't know that it has been a problem to me in times past, but it seems all of a sudden I'm having a very low threshold for praise. Just a very strange thing. I don't know whether some of the starving has, is coming out now, and I have to battle with it. I used to say that I run my factory on blame. I don't need praise. I run my factory on blame because it's such a cheap fuel. I must make a profit when I run my factory and blame because there's so much blame in the world. People are always willing to blame you. So I used to use blame as my fuel. But I must confess at this old stage of my life, <laughs> praise is getting a little sweeter. Maybe I starved myself too much and now it is backfiring. But oh! My friends, it's, you know, have you ever been to the place where you're sort of reaching out for a little praise? And God, you don't know anything about that. You preach a sermon and, you know, are they going to say it was a good sermon? Oh, bless the Lord, I'm glad I'm the only one in the world. <laughs> and you cook up a marvelous dinner and great meal a God makes you to look so well in your clothing and you say you look so well great look God glorifies us that we might glorify him and somewhere I know God will get me to the end of this long grueling course by his grace, I am going to learn adequately to glorify him. And I'm glad for how he makes me. I'm glad. Have you ever been in the middle of a message and the glory has been just pouring and suddenly you become conscious that you're on the glory and in that moment of consciousness, the glory is subsided. He will share his glory with no one, is one of the contemporary songs. Have you ever heard the saying that the world has yet to see what God can do with a person wholly committed to him? It is a great saying. There are so few people who are wholly committed to God. I mean committed without any reservations. You belong to God. But hear me, my friends, I think that this great saying needs a greater update, I call it. I believe it needs to read something like this. The world has yet to see what God can do with a person who is glorified by God and who gives God all the glory. Everybody all right? The glory is for working. And part of that work is the work of worshipping God. 
And the other part of that work is the work of witnessing for God. Witnessing for God. What did Jesus do when he came down with all that glory? Was it something that he just supped and hugged? Oh no. The moment he came down from the mount, he went to work on one of the most despicable cases that he had met in his whole ministry. A poor boy, gripped and tormented and torn apart by the devil, but with the glory upon him. He could deliver that boy from his awful possession. The glory is for witnessing to God. What did Jesus Christ say to his disciples? But you must remain in Jerusalem. Tarry in Jerusalem until ye be what? Filled with the Holy Ghost. And then you will be witnesses unto me. In Jerusalem, in Judea, to the uttermost parts of the sea. Oh, my dear friends, if any people ought to be a witnessing people, I think it should be God's people. And if any people ought to be a witnessing people, it ought to be the holiness people. For the glory is for witnessing. I don't know, we're trying all kinds of gimmicks today. I think we need to get back and try the glory again. We're trying all kinds of programs today. And I know that the world is becoming a new world, a scientific world. I know that I struggle with being all that God wants me to be in this generation. But friends, there is no substitute for the glory. There is no substitute. Maybe I can give you just this little illustration. Not far up the road here, I think it's Miamisburg, Ohio. There was a student in school, went up there for a weekend meeting. There were a number of pressures on that day of one kind or another. I can't even remember who the preacher was for that matter, but would I go out and see the Indian mounds? And I really wasn't interested in Indian mounds. I wanted to be up the mount with God. But even as we drove around, I said, oh God, oh God, oh God, I'm concerned about tonight's service. I'm concerned about tonight's service. Kept praying. My prayer time was seriously cut into. But when I got into his presence for a little while, I said, God, you'll just have to come in a special way. And I did not know all the circumstances, but after the service was over, there was a young lady weeping her way back to God at that altar. And after she prayed through, she says, Brother Taylor, I don't know a thing you said tonight. I, I, I didn't know a thing you said. But all I saw was the shining countenance of a Christ in the pulpit. Now just take that for what it is worth, my friends. There is no substitute for witnessing like the shining presence of God. Oh, God, help us. I say, oh, God, help us. Sometimes it pains me that I must give you all illustrations. Very early days of my ministry, one of the old line churches emptied on Sunday night. I mean emptied. And the old worm-eaten, half-falling-down building that we had whitewashed to pioneer a church and a young Christian backed up by other young Christians and the glory of God on us and that old line church emptied because people were flocking in to hear the gospel. Oh, my friends, there is no substitute for the glory. No substitute for the glory. I remember the first night I went to that village. I had been starting out on the ministry and that was to be the first Sunday of my leaving my job and going all 
out into the ministry and the whole thing scared me so much I, I thought I'd run out of that church that morning when the local church board said you know let's gather around and, and, and pray for brother Wingrove as he gets ready to go out into the ministry I thought I would run and I said Lord I can't run so you please bless me Please come, Lord. Please give some sign that you do bless me for the ministry. That night I went down to that little village. I can still take you back to the little notebook and, and show you the little outline. You can't judge by the outline. I tell you, that night God came in power and glory. People looking at the windows, the uh, makeshift altar lined. That night, a young man had a date to commit fornication with a young lady. He didn't come to the altar, but he ran all the way home and locked himself into his house. And when the lady came rapping, he wouldn't even answer. All that week, sales in the rum shops fell off. People were just scared, afraid to go into the rum shop. Not saved but the glory of God settling down on that village. Brothers, I don't know how you feel. I don't know how you feel, but God knows I'm not satisfied. I'm doing the best that I can. I'm trying, but oh, my heart bleeds and groans and yearns to see the glory Ezekiel talked about coming back from the east. In how many ways have we grieved him? In how many ways have we hurt him? In how many ways have we hurt our Lord? I am convinced, I say it again, I am convinced that all the glamour of modern holiness movement is not really glorifying God. I don't believe it, I don't believe it, I don't believe it. If we can get the glory to come back again, if we can not be conformed to this world, but if we can be transformed by the renewing of our mind, and if we can behold as in a glass the glory of the Lord, we're going to see mighty works again in our day. I wonder if I can close with a very distinct burden. It has been growing on my heart these days. I'm just wondering whether part of the absence of this glory is not being reflected in the neglect of carrying the gospel right here in America. Please accept this burden for what it is. I asked, does God have a controversy with the holiness movement of North America? Do you realize, my friends, that you have made an effort to take the gospel of the fullness of God to almost every country of the world, to Alaska, to Central America, to the Caribbean, to South America, to the British Isles, to Europe, to the Middle East, to Africa, to India, to Russia? to China, to Japan, to all the islands of the Orient. But we have hardly shared even the crumbs of holiness with the blacks of America. Do you realize that? Do you know how few holiness people they are among the blacks of America. Does God have a controversy with me that for 20 long years I have been silent on this issue? Do you remember that story Jesus tells about the banquet being ready and in the invited people wouldn't come in? And I've looked at the banquets that have been set here at God's Bible School, and where are the invitees? Where are they? You think God might be telling us to go out into the highways and hedges and bringing the maimed and the sick and the lame? 
And if North American whites don't want this holiness gospel, do you think we ought to fill up this place with the blacks and give them holiness? Come, come, my dear friends. I mean, I say it very softly, but I say it very meaningfully. When I was here in this country, I hardly had a church that I could go to. The Baptists filled them up, and the Pentecostals filled them up, and what have you filled them up. I just could not find a holiness church. Oh, my friends, what we need is the glory to come again. And we need to break this strange barrier and begin to reach out and touch the drug addicts and touch the homosexuals and, and, and go forward. These cases that Jesus Christ dealt with under glory is going to take that kind of glory to break the barriers stand between us and all the minorities until God's kingdom is built up afresh. Ye shall receive power after that the Holy Ghost is come upon you. That's the glory. And you shall be witnesses to me. You know what I need more than anything else? I need him in his fullness and in his glory. Thank you for listening to Convention Pulpit, a ministry of Interchurch Holiness Convention, featuring Wesleyan voices past and present. For more sermons or for more information, visit www.ihconvention.com. This ministry is made possible through the financial support of our listeners. You may give online at ihconvention.com or send your donation to IHC, Post Office Box 99, New Berlin, Pennsylvania, 17855 USA.